0: Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, uh, we are here today and we're here for you. And uh, God, we come very expectant uh, this morning, uh, knowing that uh, your presence here with us is capable of working and moving in us in ways that we could never do or accomplish on our own, that you've got places you want to take us and directions that you want to move us in, that you want to increase our faith, Father. And I'm just asking, I'm praying right now uh, that you would come and that you would move in great and in mighty ways in, in my life and in our lives, Lord, and in our marriages too. And we need you, Father. Uh, We need you now, and we need you in great ways, and we're trusting in you, and our faith and our heart is in you, Lord, and we ask that you would lead and guide us as we come before you, as we get started in this Dear True Love series. We thank you, we praise you for all those that are here today, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, hey, I do want to welcome you here today. Uh, My name is Paul Mumaw, and I'm the lead pastor at Genesis. We're uh, getting started in this brand new series called Dear True Love. And uh, uh, as we're getting started, maybe just a a question uh, as we begin, maybe just by a show of hands, ladies... Uh, how many of you, uh, maybe even before you were engaged, thought a lot about your wedding, all right? Just even as a, a teenage girl or in college, and so you looked at lots of pictures and magazines and you had lots of conversations. How many of you did this? All right, let's just see him again. How many of you uh, took a lot of time and then when you were engaged, I mean, you spent even more time, you know, you wanted to know exactly the dress and the cake and, well, you'd already thought about your bridesmaids and, again, who would be in your wedding and all that. That good stuff. I mean, most girls do this, right? I mean, it's just kind of how uh, you're wired as part of how God made you. Fellas, uh, how many of you, uh, before you were engaged, ever thought about your wedding at all in any way, shape, or form? Anyone? Anyone willing? No? No one how, No one had a, started a Pinterest uh, page or anything like that? Any fellas in the room? clipping pictures along the way? No, probably not. But when you got engaged, you know you had no choice. Uh, You spent more time thinking about a wedding over the next months than you ever had before, uh, just to kind of make up for it. But uh, what do men do? Men probably spend a lot more time thinking about the honeymoon uh, before or even uh, more than anything else, and it's because we're different, right? Uh, Men and women are different. That's the way that God made us. I ran across this perfect illustration uh, that just kind of describes how men and women, how husbands and wives are different and how we want to be treated in marriage and what works for us. Husbands, uh, here's what this author said about how to treat your wife. This is what she needs and expects. He says, wine her, dine her, call her, hold her, surprise her, compliment her. Smile at her, listen to her, laugh with her, cry with her, romance her, encourage her, believe in her, pray with her, pray for her, cuddle with her, shop with her, give her jewelry, buy her flowers, hold her hand, write love letters to her, go to the ends of the earth and back again for her. Does that sound about right, ladies? All right, are they right on, right on cue here? Uh, here? Here's what the same author said to wives about how to treat your husband. Show up naked, bring chicken wings, and don't block the TV. So... <laughs> We're just different, right? We're different. God made us that way, and because we're different, we have different views. We have these different wants and needs for marriage. I only told that joke because my mom and dad aren't here today. So, but uh, you know what? I'll tell you what I think about this. You know, as a father of three kids, I- I'm concerned. You know, I've got some concerns about what our culture is teaching our kids about uh, marriage. That that even from the earliest age, I mean, we start planting in them this idea that one day. Uh, If you're lucky, and if you're lucky enough to be in the right place and the stars are aligned just right, well, then you might be lucky enough to meet that person, to meet that one for your life. That someday uh, Prince Charming will come in and he's going to sweep you off your feet and he'll be handsome and rich and he'll have perfect hair. And from that day forward, everything will be perfect and you'll get the house with the white picket fence and the 2.3 kids and you'll live happily ever after. I mean, even that song, and Josh did a spectacular job with that song just a moment ago, that song Dear True Love. I mean, those words say, if you caught the lyrics or if you're familiar with that song, they say, without the one, I'm nothing, right? Uh, But with the one, I can do anything. I can be complete. I can live happily ever after. But the harsh reality about marriage is that that it's not like that. I mean, happily ever after is not a guarantee in any marriage. You know, I met my wife Jenny uh, when we were students at Anderson University, and we dated for a year. We were engaged for a year. We Got engaged under the arch in St. Louis Uh, one weekend. Our families were there with us, and uh, we were married in 1998, and the honeymoon was great. We went to Lake Tahoe and spent a whole week uh, in the Tahoe area, and then we returned from our honeymoon. Uh, We moved in together, and life started, and I was traveling some with my first job, and she was working third shift as a nurse uh, at the hospital, and all of a sudden, we started running up against some questions that we had never thought about before. Uh, Who's going to do this? And your responsibilities and my responsibilities and everything else that was pressing in with life and life started happening. The truth is, is marriage is hard. It's really hard. And we've been at it for 16 years now. And I'll tell you that I love my wife now more than I did when we were first married. You know, we were talking about that the other day. I mean, we have so much to be grateful for and so much to be thankful for. I mean, we have a fantastic marriage, but it didn't just happen. You know, we we didn't luck out and just happened to be the ones that found each other, I mean, we've had to work at it. You know, happily ever after doesn't just happen. In marriage, it's no guarantee. I mean, some couples don't just get lucky while others aren't so lucky or so fortunate. I mean, marriage, you know this, marriage can be one of the greatest things in your life, but I often tell couples it can be one of the worst, too, if you're not willing to work at And I just want you to know that as we get started in this series today, that anytime we preach on marriage, um, the burden is great for me. And uh, you know it's even been a challenging week just even thinking and looking ahead to this series, because I know that marriage is hard. And I know that for every one of you here today, you come from a different place and a different story and a different set of circumstances, and some of them are completely out of your control, and some of you are here by yourself, and she's not here, or he's not here. And maybe it's come to an end or it's coming to an end or you're not sure where it's going to go from here. Uh, The burden is great and I I know your pain and I feel for your pain. And boy, it's been on my heart just even in preparing for this week. And I just want you to hear from the start as we get rolling into this series that it can change. That our God is great and he is all powerful and, and he loves you and he wants the best for you and he wants the best for your marriage. And I believe that if we let him And if we trust Him and if you trust Him and if we keep our hearts focused on Him and our eyes on Him and our faith in Him, if we are completely dependent, if you are completely dependent in Him, He can help you and He can walk with you and He can walk with your marriage or if your marriage has come to an end, He can give you the strength that you need to pick yourself back up with your eyes and your focus and your faith on Him and to see even greater things. Uh, in your life. And so we're starting this series called Dear True Love today. And while it's appropriate to call it a marriage series, I also want you to know that we are trying to be very intentional about not just making this uh, a series for married people. I mean, we know that in our church there are married people and there are single people and divorced people and it's complicated uh, people. And there are women who attend without their husbands and husbands who attend without their wives. And so here's what we're going to do. Over the next three weeks, we're going to look at three different dysfunctional uh, marriages in the Old Testament. We're going to ask the Lord to teach us. Uh, with these. Now, I'm going to tell you right up front that you're going to have to use your creative imagination with a few of these stories like this one today. But uh, again, we're going to look at three messy stories with messy people, and I really believe that we can learn uh, from each one. And the one that I want to start with today comes out of Genesis 29. Uh, If you want to follow along with your own Bibles in Genesis chapter uh, 29, today's story is about a man by the name of Jacob. And uh, Jacob's story, I'll just tell you again up front, is a long and complicated story with so many different layers that we're not even going to try and cover all of it today. But one detail that I want you to know about his life uh, is that Jacob was a twin. Uh, Esau was his brother, and uh, that means, uh, and and it's also important to know that Esau was born first, which in this particular culture means that Esau won the birthright. Uh, And in those days, uh, the oldest son uh, was in the prized position uh, uh, with the birthright, and so he would have earned just by his birth position a double portion of his father's estate. And so that didn't sit well with Jacob, all right? As Jacob got older, uh, he saw that Esau was going to get so much more. And so Later on in life, Jacob devised a way to cheat his brother Esau out of that birthright. I mean, it's part of the reason why Jacob's name means deceiver. And if you study the life of Jacob, you'll see why his name means deceiver. Well, Jacob used deception. And uh, there were uh, obviously that came between he and his brother because of what Jacob had done. And when we get to Jacob, uh, here in Genesis 29, he's running from his brother. Uh, Esau has threatened to kill Jacob. And so Jacob leaves home and he goes off to a distant place, to, uh, to a, to a far-off place uh, where he has plans to meet his uncle, a guy by the name of Laban. So when we get to Genesis 29 again, Jacob is traveling, he's on the run, he's sensing that he is close to his uncle's house, and he's out in the wilderness, and he comes to this well, and he notices that there are a number of shepherds there that are watering their sheep, and, and so he goes up to them, and he asked them if they knew this man Laban. Now they were like, yeah, I mean, we know Laban, we know his daughter Rachel. In fact, we're kind of surprised that they're not here right now. I mean, they're typically out here at this part of the day uh, watering their animals too. And so Jacob just decides to wait. And before you know it, uh, Laban's daughter, Rachel, who Jacob had never met before, approaches the well. Jacob sees her. And from what we can tell, he just realizes in the moment that this is the most beautiful woman in the world. I mean, she is drop-dead gorgeous, and you can see some of that reaction uh, from, from the text. Now, we all know that feeling, right? I mean, if you've got a pulse, uh, you know a feeling like that. I mean, you know that feeling if you're single and he walks into the room Or she walks into the room, and you see them, and you see them in that moment, and you're just captivated uh, by their beauty. Or if you're married, you might remember that moment when you first met your spouse, and so maybe it was love at first sight, and you thought to yourself, you know what, she's the one, or he's the one, and and you just knew it, and you think to yourself, if if this doesn't happen, I don't know how I'm going to be able to go on. And so Jacob sees Rachel. Uh, She's the most beautiful girl in the world, and for those of you that maybe haven't connected the dots yet, Laban was Jacob's uncle. Rachel was Laban's daughter. That means that Jacob and Rachel are cousins, all right? And I know that seems a little weird uh, to us, but keep in mind this story takes place in the deep south of Israel, so it's just kind of expected. Um, and honestly, as weird as it is, it was actually fairly common back then. But anyways, Jacob is just infatuated with Rachel, and his reaction just can't help you but, but wonder, I mean, if think thinking, this is it. Like, this is what I need. This is the answer to all of my problems. If I could just marry Rachel, if I could just have this woman, then my life will have meaning. You know, it doesn't matter what it's going to cost me. I have to be married to her. And we might roll our eyes uh, at something like that, but we do this too, don't we? I mean, think about it. I mean, maybe you were the girl or the guy in school that always had to have a girlfriend or you always had to have a boyfriend. I mean, if you didn't have one, you felt inadequate or or empty or less valued. Or we see it in the husband who has a wife and has kids. And for a number of years, that was enough. Uh, But then midlife hits. And some wounds from the past start creeping in and catch up with him. And all of a sudden, he decides that what would really make him happy is a younger, uh, prettier woman. And so someone else uh, is the answer. Or we see it in the wife. And because she's not getting what she wants, I mean, her heart is all of a sudden open to these other possibilities. And, you know, she meets someone else, and she's convinced that he's her soulmate. And even though it's not her husband, she's willing to be swept away by him. Because all of a sudden, the other guy is now the answer. And I just think there's a little bit of that going on with Jacob too. I mean, he doesn't even know her. But all of a sudden, she's the answer. But Jacob's got a problem uh, that's coming down right in front of him. Look at uh, Genesis 29 verse 16. It says, Now Laban, that's his uncle again, had two daughters. The name of the older was Leah, and the name of the younger was Rachel. Leah had weak eyes, but Rachel had a lovely figure and was beautiful. Now, the author's being kind here when he says that Leah has weak eyes uh, because we're pretty sure that he's not just referring to Leah's vision, that more likely it was his polite way of saying that Leah was a little woof, you know, kind of. I mean, this uh, maybe she wasn't. I mean, we just kind of get that indication, all right? I'm just being honest, you know, that, that Leah wasn't as attractive. I mean, look at the contrast. He says Leah had weak eyes. Rachel had what? a lovely figure. I mean, she had a smoking hot body. I mean, that's basically what he's saying. And it's kind of like, you know, when your friend tries to hook you up on that blind date and you keep asking, well, you know, is he or she good looking? And all they want to do is tell you about their personality. You know, they got a great personality. You know, I mean, it, it's maybe what's going on here a little bit with Leah. Now, let me stop for a second and just say that there is nothing wrong with physical, physical attraction all right? And, and that's the way that God made us. I mean, there, there should be some physical attraction there. I believe that it's very important. I mean, I'll, I'll be honest. I was very attracted to Jenny uh, when I first met her. It was part of what brought us together. And I mean, why wouldn't she be attracted to this hunk of love here, you know, on our wedding day? I mean, check that picture out, you know? <laughs> I mean, hey, it just kind of speaks for itself, right? Or maybe it is the opposite. Maybe it shows you that it isn't all about physical. So, but anyway, God made us to be physically attracted to each other and to be attracted to the people that we would marry. But you know what? Here's the challenge that I just think we're so up against, you know, in our culture today. And it affects me and it affects you and it affects our children that in our overstimulated, oversexed culture, we place so much focus on the external and we undervalue the internal uh, with people. I mean, I think that's one reason why pornography is so dangerous Uh, It's so dangerous for everyone, but especially young men, because our culture is notorious for glamorizing the physical, Uh, and we do that, and it it creates these unrealistic expectations in people, whether you're single or married. Again, there's nothing wrong with physical attraction. There's nothing wrong with the fact that Jacob was obviously very attracted to Rachel, but he didn't even know her, all right? I mean, they just met, and I think that it needs to be there, but I think we need to be reminded that it's not the only thing. It's not the most important thing. And for Jacob, he's lonely. I mean, if you just if you make some assumptions about his life, he's lonely. He's away from his family. He's got some wounds, uh, some unresolved wounds from his past. And he's in a desperate place, and he meets Rachel. And again, he has to be thinking, marriage is my answer. And if I can marry Rachel, she's my answer. And, you know, if I could just say this, especially to those of you that are here that are single, uh, or if you're here today and you're divorced um, I just think that it is so prevalent in our society and in our churches too that at times we place such a high value on marriage that we tend to undervalue and even devalue at times Uh, people that aren't married. I mean, we've made marriage the goal uh, or we've made marriage the answer. And I just want you to know that if I've ever given that impression or we've ever given that impression, uh, I'm sorry for that. Um, I'd also say that if you're a parent right now of a young adult, a, a teen, or you know, somebody in college or out of college, I, I want to just challenge you to be careful uh, that your expectations for your kids to get married don't weigh them down or devalue them uh, in any way. I mean, if, And if you're single... Uh, Be careful that you don't fall into this trap either, believing that marriage is the answer uh, and that getting married will solve all of your problems. And and if I can, I'd like to suggest that if you're at a place in your life right now and you just feel like you're missing out on something, some of it might be the result of wrongly believing that marriage is the greatest answer uh, to your needs Uh, when instead we need to put more focus on our relationship with the Lord and make that our priority and to depend on Him for everything that we need. And so single or married, uh, with that in mind, let, let's just see if we can identify a few of the problems that can result from making marriage the answer uh, to life's problems and challenges. Again, these work whether you're married or single. And if you're taking notes, you want to follow along. The first thing is this, when marriage is the answer, when we make marriage the answer, you compromise more than you should. Uh, look at Genesis twenty nine eighteen. It says Jacob was love in love with Rachel and said, "I'll work for you seven years." Uh, he's saying this to Laban in return for your younger daughter Rachel. Now, in this particular culture, it wasn't uncommon for a man to pay a price. Uh, for his bride. He'd pay the father of the bride with things like livestock or crops or other things of value. And if the man didn't have anything of real value, he could use his labor. All right? And so that's what Jacob's doing here. I mean, all he had to give was his time and his skills. And from what I've read, it was common in this day for a man like Jacob to work two years Uh, in exchange for his bride but notice how Jacob is willing to pay almost four times uh, the going rate now that sounds pretty romantic right I mean it sounds like a great storyline for a Nicholas Sparks uh, book or or movie Uh, but Jacob was basically in love he's basically saying hey I'll give anything all right I'll go to the I'll go to the extreme I mean she's the one for me I'd do anything for her and I think if we just stop there you know quite honestly that's something that happens all the time and something that we're willing to fall prey to. I mean, it's like when a young girl uh, decides that she's going to save herself uh, for marriage, uh, but then she meets a guy, and she absolutely adores him. And and maybe the story goes that he starts pushing her sexually, and she wants to marry him, and because she's got this fear of losing him, she's willing to give him her body uh, with the hopes that he'll give her uh, his heart, and so she compromises. Or how about the guy who is dating a young woman, and she's good-looking, but she's not very nice. In fact, she cuts him down all the time and is easily annoyed by his family and friends. And so all, she, all he thinks is, if we just get married, well, then I, I'm sure she'll change. And he'll even go into debt to buy her a ring and to give her the wedding that she wants, and so he compromises. Or, or, or what about the girl that loves the Lord? And One day she meets the guy and he doesn't value the same thing. She doesn't he doesn't value that relationship with the Lord. And so she makes him go to church, and maybe he does for a while. And eventually she marries him with the hopes that he'll change. She compromises and they get married. But he's not changing, and she's still waiting. See, when marriage is the answer, we tend to compromise more than we should, and that's not a good place to start. The second thing is this: when marriage is your answer, Uh, We tend to become demanding. Uh, We establish these demands. I mean, notice that Jacob worked for seven years uh, for his uncle in order to have Rachel. It's safe to assume that he probably got to know Rachel a little bit during this time, all right? He probably had more reason uh, to love her after those seven years. But at the end of the seven years, uh, look at verse 21. It says, then Jacob went to Laban, all right, that's his uncle, and said, give me my wife, my time is completed, and I want to make love to her. I can't have ever imagined saying that to my father-in-law, all right, but he's a little blunt, a little bold here. Uh, and with this attitude, you know, you just can't help but wonder, you know, how's this marriage going to get started? I mean, will it be a loving, serving, submitting to one another sort of marriage? Well, from the details, at least, and in reading a bit into this, you know, it seems a little shallow. I mean, Jacob's not polite. He's not gentle. And the way he talks to Laban kind of dishonors him and dishonors his daughter. And Jacob has these demands and these expectations for his marriage. And I just wonder how many of you uh, know a marriage that's more based on getting what you want, uh, a demanding sort of a marriage. I mean, where husband and wife says, you know, I've got my demands. This is what I need. You owe me. I mean, you know, the, the danger is that when any marriage, you know, or relationship is heading in the wrong direction, you know, we expect that if I do my part, then you'll do your part. If I do my part, then you're going to respond with your part. If, if I clean the house, then you're going to give me what I want. Or if you work hard, then I'll help you with this or that. If you do your part, I'll do my part. See, when the, when the marriage it becomes the answer, we tend to become very demanding. And all of a sudden, and before you know it, things like sex and, and affection and quality time become our weapons uh, they become our bargaining chips. And in these instances, really what's happening is marriages become more and more like a contract, this 50-50 sort of arrangement you know, where we, you, you do your part and I'll do my part. It's, again, this 50-50 sort of arrangement. But that's not what God had in mind for marriage. And he created it. And he designed it. We'll talk more about this next week, but for God, marriage isn't this 50-50 arrangement that we agree agree to, but instead it's a covenant relationship, a covenant between one man and one woman where Christ is in the center. It's a covenant where I don't bring 50% into my marriage, but I bring 100% to my marriage. And my wife, Jenny, brings 100% to the marriage, and Jesus is at the center of it all. And he's holding all of it together. See, when marriage is your answer, we tend to become very demanding. And right now, uh, some of you, some of you women are married to some very demanding men. And you know the challenges and how difficult that can be. I mean, you know how hard that is. And maybe because they work and maybe earn uh, more or most of the money for the family, maybe they have got high expectations for you and how the home looks and what you eat and how you look and how you spend your time, men. Some of you I know are married to some very demanding women, and because of that, she has high expectations for where she shops and what she drives and where you live, and so you both keep pushing yourselves and and working hard to try to make the money that allows you to live at the standard that you believe will solve all of your problems. What I found is that even in a good marriage, it's easy to fall into this trap, this demanding trap, where I say, if I do my part, then you better do your part, and when marriage is the answer... You know, we do these sort of things. We'll compromise in order to get what we think we want or need. And if you're not careful, we'll demand it too. The third thing we see is that when marriage is your answer, you are never and will never be satisfied. You know, we we come into marriage with so many expectations. I've probably officiated uh, 75 weddings Uh, in my 15 years of ministry. And one of the things that always concerns me is that when I meet a couple that is willing to spend ridiculous amounts of time and money on the ceremony, but not nearly as interested in investing uh, in their marriage. Um, I I think about one couple uh, that I know, and it's been some time now and haven't seen them for a while, but I I had some concerns. There are times where you have some concerns, and um, I had some concerns with them. It just seemed like they were so eager to find the one, and really maybe even some desperation there, too, that I was just a little concerned that maybe um, they weren't best for each other, but they went ahead, and, you know, God, again, He could do some great things, you know, through any two-person's life. We're all imperfect. And uh, so they were married and I hadn't seen them for a year or two and I ran into them one day and ran into her one day and I was just talking to her briefly. And, And all I'll say is that just in that short conversation and asking how they were, I could just tell that it's been hard. And maybe some expectations that they had established weren't being met in each other. Hey, I get it, marriage is hard, right? I mean, we all know that. Marriage is very difficult, it's very challenging But when marriage is your answer, you're not going to be satisfied. I mean, when when, when marriage is the answer and you expect the other person to meet all of your needs, I mean, you put so much pressure on your spouse to deliver in ways that they're not really equipped to deliver. And I just think that's so much or a part of at least what's happening here with Jacob. I mean, he's thinking to himself, I've got to marry this girl. She's beautiful. I've worked for her. And now I'll get what I deserved. And if you know this story, you know that Jacob's got another problem coming. Um, see back then, it was tradition uh, for the older daughter to get married before the younger daughter. Now remember Rachel or Leah? remember the one with the nice personality all right the, the weak eyes here Well, Leah was laban 's older daughter. Rachel was the younger daughter, and so laban 's got a problem i mean what 's he supposed to do and and so he agrees to this wedding between Jacob and Rachel, and he throws the big wedding bash and parties back then. Uh, wedding parties lasted something like seven days with lots of alcohol flowing, and, and so we believe that the wedding happens, and uh, afterwards, Jacob is likely very drunk, and we get the sense that Rachel and Jacob have not consummated their marriage yet, and so it's not official. And so verse 23, uh, talk about messy. It says, but when evening came, he, this is Laban now, took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob, and Jacob made love to her. All right, again, messy, all right? Laban tricks Jacob, and again, we can only assume that he's probably a little hungover, and so the next morning, Jacob wakes up, he rolls over, all right, and he looks into the eyes of Leah, all right? This isn't who he was expecting to see uh, this early in the morning, again, the one with weak eyes, and so verse 25, Jacob's a little upset. He's a little riled up. He goes to Laban and says, what is this you have done to me? I served you for Rachel, didn't I? Why have you deceived me? Jacob's like, hey, this, this isn't fair, all right? We, do, we didn't talk about this. You know, this wasn't supposed to happen. I got to tell you, I agree with Jacob, all right? I mean, I think he's got a right to be upset. He's got a point here. I mean, Jacob held up his end, and he worked for Rachel, and he didn't get what promised, what was promised. Now, I told you from the beginning that this was a long and complicated story with lots of layers to it, and that's because it's a long and complicated, a very complicated story. uh, And do you know what? It's going to get even messier from here. And uh, if you read it for yourself, you'll find that Leah's not going away, Rachel's not going away. You should read the rest of the story. We'll just kind of make that the homework that you read these next few chapters uh, here in Genesis. And Because what you might find, even as you read it, is you might find it to be a bit of relief. And you might think to yourself, you know what, I'm glad I'm not the only messy one. Uh, I'm glad I'm not the only one that's ever made some bad decisions. I'm glad that I'm not the only one with a messy life or a messy marriage. Uh, I'm glad I'm not the only one that has ever made marriage the answer to my problems see here's here's the thing Do you know what god's going to do with all of this he's going to redeem it he's going to redeem it and you know how god is going to use all of these circumstances for the sake of jacob he's going to use all of it he's going to use all of the loneliness he's going to use all of the disappointment and all of the chaos and god is going to use it to get jacob's attention and ultimately his heart and he's going to use it to help show jacob that he's the answer that he is the only one that Jacob really needs. And you know what? The same is true for your life too. The same is true. Whether you're single or married, God can use your circumstances. He can use your present situation. He can use your frustration. He can use your hurt. And he can redeem all of it in your life. He wants you to put your faith in him and to put all of your trust in him. See, God wants to be the answer for your life, the most important relationship in your life. And He knows that He is the only one that can truly satisfy you. And so let me just say this today for those of you that are here and you're single. Maybe you're divorced and you're waiting and maybe there's these hopes to be married or to be married again. Can I just challenge you? Can I just say this? Don't put all of your energy in finding the ideal person. Use this time the Lord has given you and work on becoming the right person. Work on becoming the ideal person. Make sure that Jesus Christ is at the very center of your life and trust him and depend on him and work on becoming the person that you would want to marry. Pray and ask God to give you patience. Pray and ask God to give you the faith to trust him. Pray for your future spouse. Pray for him or her. Let God be your answer and let him be at the very first as you put him first in your life. And if you are married right now, let God be the answer to your marriage. Uh, He is your most important relationship. But you need to know that he can't be at the center of your marriage unless he's at the center of your life first. You've got to put him at the center. And uh, you might not be able to control how your husband responds to this or how your wife responds to this, but I want you to know that there is one thing you can control, and it's how you respond. And so let God be the answer for you. He is the only, he is the most important relationship in your life. And for husbands and wives, and you're both here today, And you would say that you're both willing, especially if you're here, and maybe you're in crisis or maybe you're believing or hoping that it could get better. There's hope. And there is hope in the Lord. And there is nothing more powerful than a husband that is seeking the Lord and a wife that is seeking the Lord at the very same time. A marriage like that can't fail. And God can bless that. And a marriage like that can never be defeated. And He can help you because He doesn't want it to end. And he wants it to be better for you too. Uh, John Maxwell is a writer and noted speaker on leadership. And one time he, he told this story about a conversation that his wife had with a woman uh, that she was working with. Um, John's wife, Margaret, was asked the question from this woman, Does John make you happy? And the way he tells this story is just so good. He says that he just kind of leaned in at that moment. I mean, really looking to the, to the praise that he knew that he was going to receive from his wife uh, in that moment. But he was surprised to hear his wife's answer. His wife responded, the woman, no, John's not the answer. She said, I learned early on that John could never make me happy. And John just said, my, my face fell in that moment. My heart was defeated and crushed. But then she followed that by saying, he's not the answer to my happiness. I've learned that I need to find joy and happiness through my relationship with the Lord first. And once I do that, John just adds to the happiness. See, the answer to your waiting, the answer to your life and for your marriage is first and foremost, Jesus. He's what you need. He's the most important relationship that's available to you. And it's why Jesus said in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33, He said, Jesus said, but but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Jesus is just acknowledging, hey, I know we have lots of needs and lots of wants, but whether you're single or divorced, married and happy, married or in a really difficult place right now, Jesus says, seek God first. He's your answer. Make him your priority, the first priority in your life, and in your relationship, or your future, future relationships. And you can't fail. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would know and believe today that you are a God who loves us, that you're crazy about us, and that you desire to be in a relationship with us. And, Father, I want to pray that right now over the husbands in the room. God, I pray that you would stir their heart and their affection for you, that they would desire Jesus first and foremost and seek him first with all of their heart, Lord, that you would guide and help them to become better husbands. Lord, I pray that for the wives here today. I pray that, God, that you would be first, that Jesus would be first, That the most important relationship, Lord, would be with you. And that through that relationship, you would give meaning and value and hope and faith and trust. And just like that story I shared just a moment ago, that, that a husband will just add to that happiness. But first and foremost, that happiness would come from you. God, I pray for the marriages that are represented here in this room right now. I pray for those marriages where both husband and wife are present, and and maybe they would even say, yeah, we're in a good place. And sure, it could be better, but we're happy and grateful, Lord. I pray that you would be first in their lives first so that you could be at the center of their marriage, that you would strengthen their marriage, Lord, for each other and for you and for their children and for the people around them so that you would get all the glory and praise, Father. I pray for those marriages here today that are hurting. And I know that we have some husbands that are here alone and maybe some wives that are here alone today. Maybe both are sitting here right now, but the truth is there's some crisis and there's some pain. Father, please come and come into these homes and come into these lives and in these marriages and give us hope and faith and trust in you where our relationship with you is first before anything else. I pray for those that are here that are divorced and are wounded and hurt, Lord, God, I pray that they would find hope in you and trust in you and healing in you, that they would see that Jesus is the most beautiful relationship they will ever have. And for those here today that are single and waiting and hoping, God, we know that you created marriage and you have marriage in mind for for some that are here today, God, would you give them the faith and the trust to wait on you to work on becoming that ideal person trusting in you, first and foremost, faith in you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.